This podcast is brought to you by the College of Nursing at Brigham Young University. For more information about its programs, faculty, students, or alumni events, please visit nursing.byu.edu. A Bible verse in 1 Samuel states, People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Today, we consider ways cath lab nurses are similar in that they examine the heart's arteries to ensure adequate blood flow to and from the heart. We'll discuss this and other approaches to working in this exciting career field. Hey everyone, I'm Eliza Joy. And I'm Ryan Larson. Together, we will explore nursing careers and professional insights. With exclusive interviews for nurses working in jobs that you want to know about. Transferring info from one nurse to another. This is the College Handoff. A cardiac cath lab nurse is a professional who helps assist doctors in specific medical tasks. One of the primary procedures they assist in is cardiac catheterization, which involves inserting a catheter into the heart chamber to help diagnose a particular heart disease. Today, we welcome Wendy Bentley, a cath lab nurse at Johnson & Johnson, to share her career and job insight. Well, our next guest today is Wendy Bentley. She is an alumni from the College of Nursing and has lots of experience working in the strange place that we hear so much about but know very little of, uh, cath labs. And so we want to talk to her a little bit about that today. Wendy, welcome to our show. Thank you so much, Ryan. It's great to be here. Yeah, no, we're so happy to have you. And it's always super exciting to talk to some of our alumni who are out and doing uh, great things in the real world. So we're really excited to have you. Maybe to start off, though, just thinking back towards your time as you were an undergrad student in the College of Nursing, did you have a favorite clinical that you liked as an undergrad student when you were just starting out and getting your foot in the door with the nursing field? Yeah, I would say my favorite clinical was probably Adults in Crisis, which was would also be known as um, uh, intensive care, intensive care unit, critical care. Yeah, that was uh, that was my favorite. And, and in my capstone before graduation, you do your capstone, and, and that's what I did. I was at a medical ICU up at the University of Utah my last semester. It was really fun. Oh, yeah, that's great. I, I think ICU is most commonly one of the, the favorites that uh, nursing students still have today, so that's good to hear. That's, that has been a history of, of good experiences there. How did you go, Whitney, from, uh, from you know, dealing with, I guess you've always been dealing with patients who are in intensive care situations, but how did you go from working with patients in the ICU to getting your foot in the door in the, the cath lab? Oh uh, yeah. So um, when I was in intensive care, I was I did for three years. I worked a night shift, and I was single, graduated single. Uh, I did not get my tuition back um, <laughs> <laughs> from BYU. Anyway, so I uh, I wanted a day job because I was in the social environment. I was very involved in the singles ward, and I wanted a day job. So I was working in cardiac surgery, actually, the um, uh, post-care, surgical care unit mm -hmm. for people coming out with open hearts. And I saw an opening in a different hospital for a cath lab. And I said, well, I've taken care of post-stent patients and heart attacks. I want to know what kind of goes on in there. So I just applied for the job and I got it. And I fell in love with the cath lab and everything about it 
wow. it kind of brought me to other places. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Cath Lab is amazing. There's so much in there. Yeah, no. And maybe we can start talking, um, talking about that. Just, just generally speaking, what is a cath lab? I mean, you mentioned a little bit when people are dealing with, um, cardiac issues, heart attacks, things like that. They're usually end up getting to, they getting, they usually end up getting admitted to one of those at some point. So what, what goes on in a cath yeah. lab? How, what, what do they usually do? Um, so when somebody has chest pains and they come in the ER, they're tested, uh, they get EKG testing, they get a drug test to look at their cardiac enzymes. Sometimes they'll have an echocardiogram done. And um, they, the doctors will just figure out, is this urgent, acute? Can they sit on this overnight? Can we do this as an outpatient? So depending on the scale of acuity, uh, we'll bring them into the lab, either outpatient or right away if they're dying in the ER of a heart attack. Mm -hmm. So we have stable patients and we have crash and burn patients coming in there. But if you normally, we would just normally have our outpatients who've seen a doctor, had an abnormal EKG or stress test. They come into the cath lab. We put them on the table the procedure table and drape them, prep them. And as a nurse, I'm giving sedation and helping them to be calm and relaxed. And they usually go to sleep. Um, they bring in an x-ray uh, camera, which is built in the room. It just kind of comes across a track and is over the patient's chest. And the doctor and scrub tech, um, they get access either in the groin and like femoral artery mm -hmm. or they go into the radial artery of the wrist and advanced catheters up into the aorta and cannulate the coronary arteries one at a time and they inject contrast dye into the arteries so we can see the plumbing. We can see what the arteries are doing, wow. wrapping around the heart. Um, and we can find, I mean, instant, we know instantly if there's a blockage or if they're clear. And so if there's a blockage, it gets treated with a balloon device that also gets threaded up that catheter into the artery, inflate the balloon. It opens up that blockage or um, crushes that plaque that's kind of stenosing off the artery and then they'll put in a stent um, which also is same kind of delivery as the balloon there's actually a balloon underneath the stent piece so when it goes up into the artery we inflate the balloon and the stent expands and then it adheres to the wall of the artery and it helps keep that artery open and patent wow. and then they're put on a blood thinner um, an oral blood thinner they'll take every day just to keep that artery open and fresh because we've put something foreign in there. And uh, usually it's just um, outpatients can go home same day if it's, if it's like a lot of stents or <laughs> it's just a more complicated procedure. They may stay overnight in a cardiac unit. Wow. But um, that's, that's basically what we do with the plumbing side of the heart. Wow, I, that, that's amazing, though. Talk about the miracles of modern day medicine and how um, all of that happens and, and the way that you put it. Well, if it's nothing complicated, they can just go home the same day. So 
<laughs> yes, yes. And it happens a lot wow. where these patients go home the same day. So, Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And, and you mentioned that sometimes these are people who, you know, they're coming in into the emergency room and, you know, they're they're having an, a myocardial infraction. Like they actually need to be put on a table like ASAP. And other times they're people who, um, you know, you can send them home for the day. Who who makes that decision or who helps kind of walk the patient through how to decide that? Because if someone's having chest pain, I don't think they'd be very willing to say, okay, I'll just come back like next business day. I don't know how, how does, how do, how do those conversations usually go? Right. So the physician will, will speak with the patient, whether it's in his office or yeah, in the ER setting. Um, if they're actively having chest pain in an ER setting, they'll be admitted to the hospital. Um, they'll be generally watched overnight or for a few hours or whenever it is that the have room to put this patient into the cath lab to do the procedure unless they are actively having a myocardial infarction then they bump everybody on the schedule they come Mm. right down but it's it's the physician who speaks with the patient and uh, the family members about the plan Uh, the nurses in the lab we're, we're the workhorses we set up the room we set up the patient the doctor walks in scrubbed ready to go he doesn't have to do anything but mm-hmm. get access put catheters up and then he does the procedure and he walks out and then we're the ones who clean up take care of the patient put them on the table or on their bed their bedside that mm-hmm. comes back in the room and we transport them back to their room things like that we don't we don't have a lot of um, patient contact in that sense like you do on the floor Right. Yeah. Well, it's still, I imagine, super valuable if you can keep your physician fresh and, you know, keep them doing the things that they're specifically trained to do, then you minimize errors and stuff like that if they don't have to do some of those more, um, I guess those more, as you put it, the workhorse type tasks, right? Yes. So tell me a little bit more then about what got you interested into this. I mean, you, you know, you mentioned that you had some history working with patients who... Uh, or I should say outpatients working, you know, coming out of heart procedures and things like that. Um, what was it like your first your first day working for this organization or working for the place where you were in a cath lab? Um, first day. Yeah, so um, let me go back to that first day. It's interesting because my preceptor wasn't there the day I started, and I was put with a different preceptor, different person who worked in the electric side of the lab, which is called the electrophysiology lab, which is part of cath lab. Mm-hmm. It's the catheterization lab, then you have the electrophysiology lab. So I was working with her my first day, actually here putting in a pacemaker and somebody um, so that wow. I didn't get, I didn't get cath lab exposure. Exactly. I was more in the little more intense surgical setting of the, of the side of the lab um, where we need to be more sterile and um, that kind of thing for putting actually an implant in somebody's chest with leads going inside the heart muscle. So uh, that it was really, really neat. It was fascinating. But when I eventually was doing cath lab every day, they had me circulating every case, helping put the patient to sleep, getting blood thinners ready for the stent procedures and, and things like that. It just, it took a lot of preceptorship. I was probably, I probably did that with my preceptor for about a month 
before I passed off circulating. And then you go on to learning how to monitor the case and charting what's going on. And I probably did that for about a month. And then you go on to the scrubbing portion. You learn how to scrub in with the doctor and how to handle all the equipment. And you learn that for about a month. And then when you pretty much have all three roles down, you are on your own. You're in there as your own nurse. And then you are put on call. And that's where we take a pager home with us. And we're on call either once a week or twice a week, maybe one weekend a month, just depending on staffing. And that's when we go home after a full work day and that pager's on us and that pager goes off. We're expected to be in there within a half an hour for the emergencies in the middle of the night, which happen. I I, I believe it for sure. They happen at the most inconvenient times. (laughs) (laughs) They can, yes. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, thinking back to what you were saying about how there's so many different people that are in the cath lab, it sounds like it's super interdisciplinary. Like you have lots of people that are there, nurses, physicians, I imagine some people in between. Are there any particular challenges that you've found working as a nurse in those type of environments that have lots of people with lots of different backgrounds? So, yes, that's interesting you bring that up. So with the nurses in the cath lab, the other, the other kind of technician in the room is probably the x-ray tech, the radiology tech. And sometimes there's a little animosity between nurses and techs. And unfortunately, it's that way because nurses tend to get paid more. And sometimes the techs are like, well, we're doing the same thing. And how come we can't get paid like the nurses do? Mm -hmm. But nurses can do certain things, certain tasks during procedures that techs aren't allowed and vice versa. So they're not allowed to push drugs. We're not allowed to step on an x-ray pedal. And as elementary as that seems, why can't I just step on an x-ray pedal? That's no big deal. Well, radiation is really important. We don't want to be giving radiation to a patient without knowing we are and without everybody being protected in the room. Interesting. What are some ways, Wendy, that you've been able to kind of, you know, maybe bridge that divide or maybe not so much bridge it, but just make sure there's a good relationship between those techs and the nurses? Because I can understandably see why there might be some animosity between the two. That's kind of understandable. What have you done to kind of make that as painless as possible? So I've always been a very friendly person and cheerful person. And I just... I, I don't get into the whole kibitzing that happens in between cases or, and things like that. Um, I try to be the friendly one and I don't want to be the one that says, Hey, you're, you're just a tech. You can't do what I do. I don't ever tell people that there are people who unfortunately communicate the wrong way mm-hmm. and, and create, help create that, environment where their animosity can exist. But I've always been one where if an x-ray tech is circulating a case because my first position, my first cath lab position, they did, they circulated and a nurse backed them up when drugs were needed. I was always very willing and very supportive of them circulating. And I would just stay back in the control room until a drug was needed I know that other nurses would stand right by their side in the procedure 
And I, I wanted to let them have a little more freedom than having a nurse breathing over their shoulder all the time because they are valuable. They're a valuable asset in the room. We cannot do a procedure without an x-ray tech there. It's the law in most states. And it's, it's just having that friendly camaraderie and letting them know you trust them. And then in turn, they trust you and you get along. Wow. That's, I mean, that's amazing. I think life advice in general. Do you ever find though it's hard to like balance? Oh, well, I can you know, maybe let this, this newer, less experienced person have a little bit more freedom you know, balancing that with like patient safety and things like that. Cause sometimes there are just really important tasks you can't like hand over. You can't just like step out of the room. Like you mentioned, you know, like how do you, how do you go mm-hmm. about balancing those types of uh, important factors to consider? So when, when I, when, I, when I'm saying I step out of the room, it's not very far. I mean, we're, <laughs> it's just basically coming into a control room that has a big glass window. Mm -hmm. I can still see everything. I have my lead suit on. If I'm needed, I run in there. Um, I've got a monitor I'm watching closely. So just being able to be able and willing to jump in when you're needed and you're right there. I hope I answered that question, right? No, 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 definitely. And I think, I mean, that's that's a a good, important life skill there, right? Like even sometimes when you're giving someone else, you know, a little bit more of the reins or a little bit more freedom. You're still, you know, actively involved in the process. You're not just checking out and doing whatever else Correct. you want. Yeah. So I think that's super, that's super valuable for our nurses to hear. When you're working, I assume in a cath lab, there's, there's probably times or instances where things can go wrong. And then you're kind of in a, almost a maybe triage mode where you're just trying to, you know, keep the patient alive or something like that. Does that yeah. type of stuff ever happen or what, what does that usually look like? And how does, how does the dynamics in the room change when you're now fighting, fighting for a patient's life? That it, and when a patient goes downhill in the cath lab, it goes downhill very quickly. Yeah. And that is a, that's a big challenge. And they oftentimes when you're training for this job, they don't like to just throw you in by your, on your own after your three months of training, they will have wanted you to have these crash and burn patients once, twice, three times if possible. So you dealt with a coding patient on the table and it, it happens. And, um, I remember a patient that we had that she was, she was a runner, marathon runner, probably in her forties. And she was having some chest pains, and so she saw her doctor. Her doctor suggested coming in for a cath, um, yeah, cath procedure outpatient. And we did her left coronary artery first to look at it, and then we went and looked at her right coronary artery, and everything looked really good. And then as he removed the catheter from the coronary artery, from just the, the ostium, the very beginning part of it off of the aorta, she started having excruciating chest pain, just out of the blue. And this is when we all are, oh, she's, her artery's been dissected because it's mm-hmm. a tell, 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 sign or whatever. So I'm a circulating nurse and she's just looking at me. I'm in pain. I'm in pain. Help me, help me. And, and so I'm like, can I give her some fentanyl? I have to ask the doctor. I can't just give her mm-hmm. the medication, right? So he's like, yes, give her some fentanyl, give her some Versed, but it doesn't help because she's in now this 
state of mind where her body is kind of going into this heart attack mode and we're getting help. We're calling help. The the monitor person is calling for a doctor down the hall, calling for extra cath lab employees. Hey, help. We need help. Come in here. So we had a second person scrub in to help out the doctor. We had a second doctor scrub in. Uh, We had, this is just kind of what happens whenever there's an emergency. Um, Two or three people come into the room to help me as a circulator. Somebody's specifically getting equipment. I am specifically giving drugs. And there might even be a second nurse. She's jumping in. She's getting another IV stick because uh, outpatients, they have one IV. Mm -hmm. That's what we do. But when you go into crash and burn mode, we need a second IV, maybe even a third. And we've got, so two nurses kind of helping with drugs. One's getting equipment and you've got another doctor helping out the doctor, putting in a wire down that coronary artery to try to save it as, as they're getting access to put in a, what they call a balloon pump, Mm -hmm. intra aorta balloon pump that helps take the pressure and strain off the heart as it it helps to pump the blood and so they're putting that in as we are also the monitoring room they're calling for surgery they said we need surgeon stat we need the room set up stat we're wheeling this patient down really soon as soon as we can get this wire down this artery so they did they basically we wheeled her out to the surgical suite and then the surgeon took over in OR to try to save her life. Wow. So, um, and that's, that's pretty typical of any emergency that happens. Sometimes they start bleeding out and we have to drain the pericardial sac around the heart. And then we're bringing blood in the room and transfusing. And there's all sorts of things going on at that point. You know, we're also calling anesthesia because we need this patient intubated because they're going to be going to surgery. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of support comes in to help these crash and burn patients. But it, I would say it's very satisfying when majority of your patients are relieved from the chest pain after what we've done. And even these crash and burn patients, especially that one, I was so grateful a few months later to see her. I ran into her at the mall. And wow. that's why I remember the story so well, because she was doing so well. Her right, her right side of her heart, her right ventricle mm-hmm. was basically, it basically was dead. Oh, wow. When they got in there, opened her up, her ventricle was black. It had already gone so far with that heart attack not getting the blood it was supposed to get the tissue actually literally turns black Mm -hmm. and it's just amazing that we were able to save her life as quickly as we did and like I said just running into her a few months later just it makes it all that more satisfying that this this patient survived this huge ordeal wow yeah, that is super special. And what a, what a fun opportunity and experience you had to be able to meet the patient that uh, you were part of the life-saving efforts that had just gone, gone under for her. That's, that's really amazing. Um, yep. from, from that story, though, it sounds like this is not a job for the faint of heart. You have to be willing to, everything's going okay one moment and the next moment, you know, you're jumping on a code or something like that. Um, 
you, you, is that ever stressful to you or maybe how do you deal with that? It's very stressful. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think cause my heart is in the right place and I loved what I did and I, I love dealing with these patients and I, and I have to say, unfortunately it's not every crash and burn and ends up that way. Right. Sometimes we lose these patients and and that's really hard. But yes, the, the situation can be very stressful. So you have to remember your training. You have to remember your advanced cardiac life support. And you have to remember your drugs. It's just something we do, something you have to run through the back of your mind every day. Where is, where's the bag that we, we put over the patient? The mask and the bag, where's the oxygen, where's the crash cart? Those things are always right there in the room, and it's just being able to focus on the task at hand, what your job specifically is, because everybody comes in to help. I know if two or three people come in to help me as a circulator, then I need to make sure I'm delegating. I need you to start an IV. I need you to run for equipment. I need you to relay information to the person monitoring in the back, and the person who is circulating needs to know that they're responsible for this patient and and just it is hard because these things happen so quickly and I've I've felt that many times so I've felt the confusion like what am I supposed to do but then at other times it's clear what I'm supposed to do wow because of, because of my training Today, we give a shout out to Kathy White Knight, an assistant dean at the BYU College of Nursing who is retiring after 41 years of service. She has continuously led technology development at the college and has witnessed the evolution from typewriters and handwritten spreadsheets to computerized mannequins and supporting this podcast program. Thanks for believing in us. We wish you a happy retirement, Kathy. What should nursing students who are mostly members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who are listening to this, what, what types of things can they do to be, you know, spiritually ready for those types of um, unique circumstances that they alone will probably find themselves in? It's a good question, right? We don't often think about uh, being spiritually ready in our workplace for, for death. Um, but we as nurses sometimes are those bridges, unfortunately, to the other side uh, for these people. And I think just being close to the spirit, um, knowing how to quote, hear him like president Nelson encourages us to do, um, doing the things that we should be doing. So we can hear the spirit, which is, you know, reading the scriptures, saying your prayers, following the prophet. Um, I think, being close to your testimony will help you to know what to do for these, with these patients. And I mean, good and for the good and for the unfortunately bad for, for some people's yeah. cases. Um, Cause you're an example and you're, you're showing a light to your patients um, that they may not have seen before. And I've, I've had many patients ask me, why are you so happy all the time? You know, and so it, it gives you that opportunity to even share what you believe in. And, and that's kind of was my whole purpose when I, when I applied to the nursing school and 
they asked me, uh, it, it said, like, where do you see yourself in five years as a nurse? And where where will it take you? Or um, And I just remember just writing about having the opportunity to be a missionary and being, so you have to be close to the spirit. And that's the only way you can shine your light. And then at those instances, when things like this happen, where you need to be focused and try to save someone's life, the spirit can be there to help you do what you need to do. Um, But yeah, I would just say being close to the spirit and doing those things to help you in your job and, and having that prayer in your heart going to work that you'll be able to make a difference in someone's life. Dang. Talk about how important that is for, um, for the, the nursing students or just any nurse that has a religious background to always be ready to deal with that type of heaviness. That's such a unique um, calling that someone would ever have in life. So that's really admirable that, that you do that type of stuff and you're, you're, you try so hard not only on the clock but off the clock to always be spiritually ready for those types of instances. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I guess speaking of this, you know, on the clock, off the clock, you know, always being prepared and things like that. You also mentioned how sometimes you get sent home with a pager and, you know, you might work, I don't know, eight, 12 hour shift and, you know, you get home, you get in bed and 20 minutes later it's going off. I mean, and you have to be back in the hospital in 30 minutes. That sounds kind of exhausting. What's the work-life balance usually um, like in, in a cath lab? Yeah. So depending on the cath lab you work for, it, it could be you're, you feel like you're at work all the time um, where other labs that have more staff or um, just more a bigger hospital setting or something, you may not be on call as much. But, yeah, I mean, I could go home, have dinner with my family, go to bed exactly like 20 minutes or two hours later, be called in. And then you work for a couple hours, you come back home, maybe you'll be able to go back to sleep for a couple hours, or maybe you won't. It just depends on the time you're called in. And then you're expected to work an entire shift the next day. So it's just, it's just juggling. It's just juggling your life. It's juggling the schedule. If you know you have something big coming up on a certain day, um, personally in your personal life, you try to uh, trade shifts with somebody, trade that call time. Um, and sometimes the next day might be a lighter procedure day. You might be able to go home early, take a nap. Things just tend to, they just, they just seem to work out for me most of the time. Um, I was able to figure out how to fit in a nap (laughs) after being called in during the night, um, the next day or going to bed early. It's just being able to be flexible. And with this kind of job, you have to be flexible. And it's just learning that flexibility. It takes a while to learn it, but you get there eventually if you like it. I liked it so much. I, I did it and was on call for 13 years. Hopefully you have a supportive family at home and then you're able to do it. I did. I do. I have a very supportive husband and great children and he... He was my, my rock whenever I had to be called in. He was always there. I, it just worked out for us. So That's great. That sounds, it sounded like the beginning when we started interview too, you, you have a very awesome and healthy work-life balance. It sounds like with 
Yeah, you and your your amazing husband. I I do want to ask you about something that's a little bit off topic. You did mention that you graduated and and you were single. And as someone who is approaching that potentially myself or other people that are in that same situation, you know, there's kind of there's obviously some social pressure, especially coming from BYU to, you know, get your degree and your degree, if you know what I mean. Right. So like. Yeah. What what um uh what what was that like graduating without without a spouse from BYU? Well, I I didn't know my my entire career at BYU. I I didn't know if I would get married or if I'd graduate single. And you don't plan to graduate single. You kind of hope you meet somebody, right? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. exactly like you said, social pressures. You graduated from BYU and you didn't get married. What's wrong with you? <laughs> you know. And uh, at least that's some kind of what you get. But, right, I moved home. I moved back to my, my hometown in, in California. And I got a job down there, not too far from my home. And I worked, like I said, I worked the night shift. So it was, it was hard to juggle the social aspect of things. I would try to go to activities. Um, with the singles ward in, in LA and I did and, and I made lots of good friends and um, but my my life was meant to go to the Midwest and it was one of those decisions I made in college where I basically decided if I graduated single I would I would go home get some experience and then move to Chicago I had a brother that lived out there so my life kind of took me out there two years after working um, my first two years out of school, I moved out to Chicago and that's where I kind of got more involved in the singles ward. My, my brother really pushed me to do that. I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I'm not doing anything. It's been two years out of school, but he pushed me to be more active in the singles ward. And I did, and I was blessed for it. I met my husband there. Um, and, and so just, you know, plug in for singles wards. <laughs> they are amazing. I mean, anywhere you go, they have these young adult wards. And and the year that my husband and I got married, there were seven couples wow. like, out of our ward that got married that summer. And it works. So, you know, if yeah, if you graduate single, it's okay. Um, just be involved. Stay involved with the singles ward, though. I would say that's probably the key. Um, cause then you're also still getting the spiritual food you need because you're in an environment that is social and everybody has the same standards as you, at least you hope. <laughs> and, and yeah, it was just, it was great. And I was able, yeah, I met my husband there. It took two years to marry him once I met him, but it, <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> You're now working for a medical device company, um, and you're still working in the um, in the in the the rooms where the, you're still working in the cath labs. So, what is your role in this medical device company? Are you just kind of like a like a sales rep, or what, what what types of things do you usually find yourself doing nowadays? I I am a clinical account specialist now. So my that's my role. I'm a, a cath. C-A-S, and I work for a company called Biosense Webster, and we are owned by Johnson & Johnson. So, 
Yes, this job, I am a clinical rep. I'm not really the sales person. I don't do the contracts with products and things like that with the hospitals. I have a, a territory manager who manages all of the sales. However, territory managers don't know the clinical side of what we do in the lab. So I'm the one who has to come in and teach my physician about our new products or our current products or Mm. um, how they're used, what the benefits are, what the features are. And, um, but in addition to that, my normal everyday role is to um, operate our 3D mapping uh, computer or workstation or uh, machine, however you want to say it. So, So it's the electrophysiology side of the cath lab. So we call it the EP lab um, where patients are brought in. They have an abnormal, some kind of abnormal heart rhythm that they are dealing with. So instead of having the chest pains and the closing of arterial vessels, we're dealing with electricity not going right down through the heart muscle. We have our normal conduction where we start up high in the, right side of the heart and it sends a signal and then more parts of the heart send signals down to the lower parts of the heart. And then we, we have a normal beating heart. Sometimes those signals can get, um, can go haywire and they can go all sorts of different directions Mm -hmm. and cause patients to have palpitations and their heart is beating out of their chest. Um, atrial fibrillation is, is one of the number one heart problems in the United States. And that's where the atrium just quiver. There's no contraction. They're just quivering all the time. And we do ablations, cardiac ablations. We go inside the heart with a special catheter to cauterize or ablate heart muscle and tissue to get down to those cells and create a roadblock where they can't misfire anymore. Wow. So we stop the electrical conduction going the abnormal direction and force it to go the normal direction. And we need really sophisticated technology for this. And so this 3D mapping system that we use, um, I'm the one that will operate it in the lab I'm assigned to go to that day. It is, it is very high-tech. So the nurses and techs in the room actually don't know how to use it. It's, it's so high tech. You have to do this 24 seven, not 24 seven, but you know what I mean? Every day Lots of experience in order to know how to use this. Correct. So, um, they, the, the nurses in the room prep the patient, put EKGs on, they put a bunch of stickers on the patient that work for my system. And so it has a magnet under the table the stickers on the patient all have a magnet on them and we create like this GPS field inside the chest of the heart. Wow. So we create this, it's a bunch of biophysics all involved and we're not going to go into that, <laughs> but we create this, this um, field in the patient's chest where we can actually create a 3d model of the heart and pinpoint where an abnormal rhythm is coming from. And then the doctor can see his catheter on that 3D model that I've created. He can see it maneuvering around inside the heart and pinpoint that 
spot where I've pinpointed, he can put his catheter there and come on the ablation, the radiofrequency ablation, and burn in that spot. And we have now broken the abnormal rhythm and restored normal rhythm to the patient. Wow. So it, that's, that's a lot of description, but it takes a lot of description to tell somebody what I do. Yeah, <laughs> understandably. Not, nothing easy, nothing easy about what I do, but I love it. It's and very the, challenging, um, it, and it's great. Yeah, and I'm sure you gave us the simplified version too. I'm sure there's so much more that, that goes into that. Yeah, um, I'm assuming you probably had to have some special training, obviously, maybe from Johnson Johnson and their special software um, to do that. What was that like? So, yeah, so it actually is about six months of training um, on the job and also at home modules you're doing on a computer. And then we'd go in person to training for a week. Um, I went to Irvine, California, because that's where their training institute is at. And I was there for a week every day in a, in a classroom setting. And we're just going over everything about our system. It's very hands-on, um, very technical. You walk in that room, there's wires everywhere. <laughs> so it's just knowing, also troubleshooting a computer. Yeah. You have to be very technical savvy to do this kind of work as well, because you're dealing with a lot of computers. The training was intense. I, I really did like, though, how they gave us basically four weeks of at-home training where you're on a computer and you're doing simulation-type things. And then you go for a week in person, and then you come back home and you're doing another month of training on the computer. You're also going to cases with your coworkers who are teaching you how to do it for real-life settings. And then you go back to training again for a week again, to do more simulations, but do it in a classroom setting. And then when you're ready and you feel comfortable with the system, system and all the intricacies of it, and you've passed off everything, then they're ready to give you your wings and you can go solo. So wow. it's, a, again, flying solo can be um, intimidating, but it's just trusting your training again. Um, and then knowing you have resources, my team is excellent. We have a group text that is constantly going off every day. <laughs> I need help with this. Something's wrong with this. What is this again? And so we, we help each other. And having, a, having camaraderie amongst our, our peers, especially my coworkers, I don't see them every day yeah. because they're at different hospitals. I'm at a different hospital. So I see them at at our team meetings, maybe once every couple months or however often we get together. Um, and so the people you really get a relationship with are the staff you're going to be with that day in the lab. You end up being a teacher because wow. I, I know, I know a lot about these abnormal heart rhythms. And so I'm teaching nurses and techs things I know as they are also trying to learn the aspect of the job. Because being a nurse in that setting, in that role, in that room, takes a lot of training. Just hands-on, being in that room a lot. Um, it's about a year before a nurse in that room feels comfortable being in that room, working that, that particular role wow. um, or that particular um, specialty of cardiology. So, I'm sure that reading EKGs now is like a piece of cake for you, right? 
<laughs> it, it, it can be hairy. I still, I still rely on resource guides and all sorts of things when I'm looking at EKG, but it's, it's learning what to look at when you're looking at an EKG. That's impressive. That is really cool that you, uh, that, that you're taking your nursing career and you're running with it and you're obviously doing amazing things that are, are cutting edge. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And it is cutting edge. Like you said, atrial fibrillation is the number one, like I said, uh, problem with, uh, with cardiology today. Uh, so many patients have it and it's only getting worse. And unfortunately, the resources aren't out there to meet the demand. And um, it's just, a, it, it's education too. We're trying to teach our physicians, the ER physicians, your family physicians. If you have a patient in atrial fibrillation, they need to be sent to an electrophysiologist. These people need to be treated. It's a very, um, I mean, I don't know how detailed we want to go into this, but it's very um, high reimbursement rate with Medicare is this atrial fibrillation procedure, the ablation procedure, because these patients have, if it, if they have AFib and they continuously have AFib, it's not just AFib that's their problem. They end up having congestive heart failure um, and they have all the problems that then that creates. They have shortness of breath, all the problems that that creates. And they're constantly coming into the hospital with CHF and they're being cardioverted back to normal sinus rhythm. And then they're let out again. Well, they're going to go back into AFib. Mm. And it's putting a lot of pressure on the hospital systems. We see so much CHF. We see so much stroke. We see so much of these other underlying, these other problems, but the underlying problem most of the time is atrial fibrillation that they're finding. If we can get those patients treated, they're taking pressure off the hospital systems by not being readmitted. Wow. And, um, yep. We could talk all day about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love to. So I, I kind of lie when I said I don't know everything about, um, I don't know anything about nursing. I, I work as an EMT and I read four leads, but that's about it. And so this type of stuff is super interesting to me. But for other nursing students, is there like an email address that they might be able to reach out to you if, if they uh, if they have follow-up questions or maybe they're looking for a mentor that is maybe in a similar field uh, that, that you're doing right now? Yeah, yeah, sure. So my my um, email would be wking for king at byu.net. That's awesome. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for being on our podcast and being willing to let our nursing students contact you if they have any questions. Well, thank you so much. I was I'm so happy to maybe share the light or you know something about this dark hole that nobody knows about. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. So, you see this type of stuff on you know Grey's Anatomy all the time, but I don't think anyone actually knows what they do. But I'm glad someone who's as smart as you um, has more of a sense of it than, than the average person because you're saving lives out there. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. It, it's a great field, and yeah, you don't know about it in nursing school. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's great. Well, Wendy, thank you so much. I uh, hope you have a great day. Thank you so much, Ryan. Have a, have a good one. Wow, that was a fascinating conversation. It was cool to hear about all the amazing cutting-edge things Wendy is doing in cath labs around the country.
Yeah, she's definitely one of the coolest alumni what we have from the College of Nursing. And Catherine, thank you so much for guest hosting with me today. Yeah, no problem. I had a great time helping host. In the future, I'll actually be transcribing all of the podcast episodes and putting them on our blog so our readers can enjoy them as well. That's right. So not only will we be producing a podcast you can listen to, you can also read about all the amazing conversations we have with nursing professionals around the country. Yeah, and you can find those on byunursing.com. And you can also read the stories about just the things happening around the college. That's right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. And as always, we'll see you next week. Bye.